Welcome to the Mycotoxin Matters podcast from Alltech Mycotoxin Management. As mycotoxins present an ever-increasing threat to livestock production, join us as we discuss these impacts and potential solutions, sustainable farming, and our vision for a planet of plenty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our latest episode of the Mycotoxin Matters podcast. I'm Martin Minchin, Marketing Manager for Alltech's Mycotoxin Management Programme. On today's episode, we're delighted to be joined by Professor Chiara Dalasta, and over the next 20 minutes or so, we'll be discussing a study that was recently published in the Journal of Exposure and Health, which assessed what will be the mycotoxin-related health impacts of shifting from meat-based diets to soy-based meat analogues. Professor Dalasta is currently an Associate Professor of Food Chemistry at the Department of Food Science at the University of Parma in Italy, and is a well-known and highly respected researcher in the area of mycotoxins. In addition to her research activities, she is also an expert member of several working groups at the European Food Safety Authority. Many listeners will also recognize Chiara from her role on the steering committee of the World Mycotoxin Forum. Chiara, it's wonderful to have you join us today. Hello, Martin. It's really wonderful to be here today. Really honored. Before we get into discussing the actual study, Chiara, it would be great if you could give a brief background to yourself, the University of Parma, and the fields of studies that your research team focused on. Yes, definitely. So uh, you are you are right. I'm a food chemist. I have a strong analytical background, and my main area of research is food safety mainly mycotoxins. My group is based at the University of Parma in Italy, Department of Food and Drug. And our university has a really a strong vocation in food science. This is our core business indeed. Uh, from the primary production to processing, consumer science and human nutrition. And this is mainly due to the area because uh, our area is highly specialized in the agro-food sector. Uh, recently, my group has gained expertise in circular bioeconomy. That's the reason why I started working on plant-based meat analogs. Um, we are mainly working on the valorization of agrobiomasses, uh, especially for the production of plant-based protein. Um, so, my, my, my basic question at the beginning of my, of my research, so the topic of this podcast, uh, was about the safety assessment of these products as well, because a lot is known about the nutritional profile, but very little about the food safety. Here, would you say then that that's probably the, the main reason that you conducted such a study? And I'd be interested also to know if, if there are any studies such as this carried out previously. Uh, is it a new topic for the, the research area? Let me say that it's a, quite a new topic. There are several studies in the literature mainly about microbiological profiles uh, or, uh, let me say, um, allergenic profile, which is quite an issue for plant-based protein. However, at least from what I know, our work is the first uh, focus on mycotoxins and that the first modeling the exposure. So it, it was quite a, a new uh, work in the field. And the idea came uh, really from some project carried out in collaboration with the European Food Safety Authority. Indeed, as you, tell, uh, as you told before, the European Food Safety Authority was, I was part of the, some working group in the past uh, and uh, the authority is based in Palm as well. So we have quite a strong collaboration. Um, yeah, we saw a lot of work about the nutritional advantage of the plant-based food, but uh, none of them addressing the safety profile and the mycotoxin especially. What would you say 
Kiara, were some of the, the key findings of the study. Um, one of the areas I thought was most interesting was the fact that although removing processed meat from our diets may reduce a, a cancer risk, higher yeah. or more unexpected risks uh, could actually arise if mycotoxins are not re uh, properly regulated in, in these plant-based meat alternatives. So interested to hear, I guess, yeah, some of the key findings uh, from the study and also was there anything in there that, that may have surprised you or unexpected? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think the key point is that uh, uh, there's no black and white in food science. So we all um, know or we, we all have read that uh, um, removing red meat from the diet is beneficial in terms of uh, colon cancer risk. On the other side, when you change your diet, you also change your exposure to some contaminants. Um, regulation are usually based on exposure assessment and occurrence data and food items that are considered the real contributors uh, to the exposure, the main contributors to the exposure are those that are regulated. So if you eat small amount of foods that are not really high contributor in your diet, these foods are not usually are not covered by regulation. And this is the case of legumes. So nowadays we all eat legumes, but not in very high quantity, or let me say, not in amounts that may be responsible for high contribution. But when we shift the diet from meat to plant-based analogs, so 100% meat, will become 100% plant-based analogs, then also your exposure or your consumption of different plant-based protein would be uh, important in terms of contribution. So nowadays, legumes are not regulated for mycotoxins, although we all know as a scientific community that mycotoxin may occur and do occur in legumes, but they are not regulated so far. The key point of our study is that Imagine you will eat only plant-based or legume-based food in your future. You will be exposure to such an amount of mycotoxins that you will be, uh, you will undergo to a risk of developing cancer. Let me say a comparable, comparable or even higher risk than the one you have by eating red meat. This is quite important to underline, I think. And this is probably the key finding of my study. Really interesting, Cara. And I think if I'm right in saying it, it was aflatoxins and ochratoxins, the, the study mm -hmm. uh, that you and your team focused on. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Aflatoxin and ochratoxins, which are the most uh, important mycotoxins and legumes so far. We didn't consider alternaria toxins, which are also occurring in legumes. But uh, at the moment, the, let me, we don't have enough data uh, from a toxicological perspective to include them into the risk-benefit modeling. And uh, we didn't consider fusarium toxins just because they are less relevant for the metrics. Yeah, so aflatoxin and ochratoxins mainly. The study, Chiara, it was based on Italian consumption data. Yeah. And also, I think I know that the, the, the consumption data was from uh, 2006. Um, yes, exactly. So almost 16 years ago. I guess two questions within that. Um, you know, would this, would this risk differ if this study was applied to a, a different region outside of Europe? And then is there anything, I guess, in terms of the, the older consumption data, would it change if this was more recent? 
So uh, starting from the last, we have very old consumption data nowadays available. We based our study on the European Consumption Data Database from the European Food Safety Authority, so EFSA. And we only focused on the Italian diet because we know the Italian diet quite well. So even if, let me say, in spite of the old data, okay, we were able to put in place some corrective measures. We are not able to do the same with all data coming from other countries. So the point is that collecting data for consumption is so um, um, demanding in terms of efforts that the European um, Union, the European member states only do it uh, over some years. So let me say, Probably now they are putting together data from new surveys and maybe something will come available next year. But yeah, again, there are very old data, completely not uh, mirroring our current diet style. Um, yes, uh, coming to the other question, I totally agree with you. Uh, if I change from Italy to Germany, and I would try to model Germany, German exposure, or maybe, I don't know, Scandinavian exposure or exposure from UK or Greece, I would expect different results. In Italy, we have, um, let me say, um, say pseudo-Mediterranean diet is no, no longer the classical Mediterranean diet uh, as in the past, but it's, uh, it's more... Um, adherent to the med uh, lifestyle, so a lot of veggies and so on. Probably in other countries, the intake of meat is higher. On the other way around, we are quite used to consume uh, a high amount of processed sausages. Um, so this could be quite a contributor in terms of risk concerning red meat. So I would expect different results, for example, in Greece, where they have surely different consumption in terms of vegetables and uh, meat, but also from the other way around in Eastern Europe or Northern regions. Yes, it would be really interesting to check the exposure country by country uh, with pretty new data, consumption data, I mean. Looking at some of the um, the commentary online, Chiara, there's been a there's been a, a notable response, I guess, to the study with it being such a novel and new topic to explore. Um, what would you say if different stakeholders are looking at this study? What would be the the implications for? I'm thinking in particular food producers and, and consumers. Yeah, considering. Um producers or industries, uh, I must say that we had only positive feedback from them at the moment. So quite uh, nice feedback, I'm, I, I'm really happy to say. Uh, the, food, the food supply change seems to be very interested. Um, we had already some contacts with them uh, planning uh, further studies in this direction. I think they, they are interesting in getting more uh, aware of the risk connected with their product. And in particular, they would like to know if processing may be a mitigation tool. This would be a very important question. So maybe they can put in place some innovative solutions or some innovative 
processing uh, um, technologies, they may help them to keep under control the risk of the mycotoxins occurrence along the production chain. So this is for sure for them a very important question. Let me say something similar to the acrylamide toolbox. So it would be very interesting for them to start quite in advance to have data to build up a toolbox, okay, to, to be able to keep under control the risk. Um, on the other way around, also regulators seem to be really interested to the topic. Of course, they need more occurrence data. They are asking for more occurrence data. And they will once uh, they will have data, they will be able to perform a thorough risk assessment, maybe based on um, recent consumption data. And this would be the base of possible future regulation in the field. So why not? Maybe in five, three, five years, we could even have limits for mycotoxins in uh, uh, plant-based proteins or plant-based food. Consumers, this is quite, uh, let me say, complicated matter or itchy matter because, um, yeah, we don't want to set any alarm or any, any uh, to cause any crisis. The sector has uh, improved a lot, has grown a lot over the past five years. A lot of people all around Europe are keen to change the diet and to buy more plant-based food. So the message from our setups is not uh, don't eat this kind of products. The message is um, please push the sector to put in place the right safety measures, which is different. Okay, So I think that um, discussion with consumers is open. Uh, it's really important that the scientific community is engaged and try to transfer to the liver in the, in the right way the message. But we also have to be really careful in uh, not causing any, any alert or, let me say, panic or untrust in consumers. I fully agree, Chiara, and I think, yeah, the topic of of mycotoxins within the consumer community is, is always one of the more sensitive ones. But it's an issue that is is becoming more and more, I guess, mainstream. And I think only earlier this week we saw in Kenya a significant food scare with rice in that country and the government there. Um, they recalled a a large, large shipment of rice due to um, due to contamination with aflatoxins as well. Um, it's a Kira, climate change crisis, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, of course. And that's going to become a much bigger yeah. topic uh, as we think of the years ahead. Um, Chiara, looking ahead maybe to the future then, um, for your team and, and maybe other teams of researchers also, how would you say this study maybe sets a benchmark for further studies? Um, do you have specific plans to, to follow on with research in this area? And are there maybe recommendations of areas that you feel we should be exploring more and more that maybe were not included in this particular study? Yes. Uh, uh, so at the moment, we are busy with collecting occurrence data from the market uh, to enlarge the database for exposure assessment. So this is for sure the first step in the pipeline. We have a very nice analytical method, so we can really uh, start collecting the uh, collecting accurate data and yeah, provide data to the regulators as well. 
we have also some contacts ongoing with companies in the field, especially regarding innovative ingredients. Um, yeah, they are mainly interesting in setting up uh, studies for yeah for understanding the processing, uh, in particular extrusion of protein. So working on the extruded material to see if uh, this kind of treatment may mitigate the occurrence of mycotoxins. So this is another step in the pipeline in our pipeline. Then of course uh, we are chatting with the. Uh, the authorities to see if we can collaborate in collecting data or running model for the future. Um, this is just about mycotoxins, but I think we have to enlarge a little bit our vision and maybe uh, go for natural toxins. So not only mycotoxins, but also alkaloids. Uh, I mean, uh, we have the recently regulated tropen alkaloids or pyrolizidine alkaloids, or why, why not other plant alkaloids that could be interested as well. And maybe uh, it would be nice to merge natural uh, plant or natural mycotoxins with uh, um, other natural toxic compounds like uh, anti-nutritional factors, protein anti-nutritional factors or something similar, which can be uh, present in this kind of products. So to have um, a thorough and a comprehensive view um, on the safety of plant-based meat and milk analogs, because we focus on meat analogs here in our study, but there's also a lot of interest around milk analogs. So all the oats, uh, almonds or whatever, uh, plant milk. So this is more or less what we have in, on, in the pipeline. And of course, we hope that also through this uh, discussion, webinars, podcasts or whatever, the interest may grow and maybe we can capture some fundings uh, for collaborative projects. This, this would be really important for us in the future. I'll finish on a topic, um, Chiara, that has been pretty much front and center of of everyone's minds for the past uh, the past year or so. The the war on Ukraine um, in the livestock category, it's it's meant for a lot of changes have occurred in terms of um, people switching to to byproducts and so on, where where parent grains and raw materials are not available. Is the same applying to to consumer foods? Um, is it having any impact on the the safety profiles of certain ingredients that are used in in foods uh, destined for the the end consumer? Uh, unfortunately, yes. I think this is a very tough question. It deserves a lot of time to be discussed really in depth. But the raw material market is totally disrupted at the moment. The consequences, at least to me, will be up for years. So uh, many common usual uh, raw materials are simply no longer affordable for companies. This is the feedback we have from our partner companies. Or at least they are not affordable in the amount they need or in the quality, with the quality level they need or they are used to have. So there are changes uh, ongoing in the food formulation. Companies are looking for new ingredients from new geographical areas. And yeah, this is good in a normal situation. So it's always nice to have uh, innovation or, or new materials, new opportunities. Uh, but when uh, this is forced by the global crisis as it is at this moment, and uh, when it's so quick and driven 
by the economical crisis, then our feeling or my feeling in particular is that uh, the risk for food safety uh, is becoming higher and higher. So I don't know, I think that we all as a scientific community must be really proactive in monitoring the scenario, keeping everything under control, uh, understanding what is going on, uh, supporting companies in making choices and yeah, preventing potential crisis. I think this will be an issue for the coming years. Yeah. Yeah, and I think unfortunately you say coming years rather than coming year. It does feel like it's going to be a, a turbulent for years ahead and something that's yes. not going to be solved all that quickly. Um, so something certainly for stakeholders right throughout the, the food and feed supply chain to consider. As, as we, we all hope, even if the war will be over maybe soon, and we all hope for this, I think the raw material crisis uh, will be here for for longer time. That's the point. Yes, that's my feeling at least. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think that's the, that's the reality. Um, Chiara, it's a fascinating topic uh, and we really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us on the podcast today. Um, it feels like an area that is certainly going to attract uh, greater attention in the future. So we'll be certainly keeping a, a close eye on it and, and the work of your team as the research evolves. Uh, I'm sure we may have you on to, to join us again to discuss further updates uh, to the scientific uh, work that, that you're carrying out. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be back next month with our final episode of Mycotoxin Matters for 2022. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening today and look forward to you joining us next time on the Mycotoxin Matters podcast. For more information on the topics discussed, please visit nomycotoxins.com. That's K-N-O-W mycotoxins.com.